Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Our gospel story picks up right after Jesus had healed the demon-possessed man hanging out in the graveyard. You remember that story. He sent the legion of demons in that man into a herd of pigs that then rushed down a steep bank into the sea, upsetting, understandably, the Gentile people in the nearby town who asked him, actually begged him, to leave their area. So Jesus got into a boat and crossed back over the sea, that is the Sea of Galilee, which is a very large lake in the north of Israel, uh, to the city where he had been staying for so long and where he picked up his disciples, Andrew and Peter, James and John, and immediately after this passage, Matthew, the tax collector. And so that's where today's story begins with the first verse of chapter 9 of St. Matthew. Feel free to follow along with the story if you have your Bible. So the... Uh, The story today in Matthew's gospel is the same story told in Mark and Luke where we get the extra detail that this paralyzed man was actually let down through the roof on a mat. Matthew leaves that detail out, which is funny because as like kids in our minds, that's the thing that sticks out the most. Oh, wow, they punched a hole in the roof and let a guy down with ropes on his bed. But Matthew just omits that altogether. Um, In Matthew's telling, we only hear that he was brought to Jesus on a bed, Um, and though Matthew leaves that detail out, he actually does include other things in his account of this that Mark and Luke do not. For one, uh, upon seeing the faith exhibited by not just the friends of the paralytic, but the paralyzed man himself, understandably, this, this man had to assent to this plan. He didn't just, uh, he wasn't brought unwillingly, we can presume, by his friends, but he also, the paralyzed man, had faith that Jesus could do this. So Jesus, seeing the faith of the paralytic and his friends, sees him and says, take heart or be of good cheer. We don't hear Jesus saying these words in uh, Mark and Luke's account, but there in Matthew, this small detail sort of fills in a little bit of the tenderness that Jesus is showing this man. He doesn't merely heal him as a benevolent but detached miracle worker. He connects with him emotionally. He understands where this man is coming from, looks into his heart, sees his distress, and connects with him by saying, be of good cheer, take heart. And then he tells the man that his sins are forgiven, immediately provoking the thought among the scribes and Pharisees who were standing around that Jesus has just blasphemed. Why is he declaring that someone's sins are forgiven? Um, so why, why is this a blasphemy in, in their minds? Well, because only God can forgive sins. Sometimes we forget uh, the, the context of this and, and what's going on. We, as worshipers of the God-man, Jesus Christ, forget that In the flesh, there before having this doctrine clarified and revealed to them, they just see a man saying, your sins are forgiven. And so we, knowing that, uh, you know, we we can forgive the sins of others, we forget that it's crazy to think that we could forgive others' sins against other people. As C.S. Lewis said, we can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toes and I forgive you. You... Steal my money, and I forgive you. 
But what should we make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden on who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Asinine fatuity is the kindest description we could give of his conduct. Yet, this is exactly what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all the offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. So when the scribes of the law thought to themselves, this man is blaspheming, they knew exactly how ludicrous it was for a man to say, your sins are forgiven. And yet, Jesus chastises them, not uh, for, for thinking evil in their hearts. That's what he says to them. This is another place that Matthew actually gives an extra detail. In uh, Mark and Luke, Jesus just chastises them for questioning. Why do you question these things? But in Matthew, he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Is Jesus being, like, too harsh here? <laughs> Remember, asinine fatuity is what uh, C.S. Lewis said, that we should judge any other person saying, your sins are forgiven. So, is it really necessary to call out the scribes for thinking in their hearts this man's blaspheming? We saw such tenderness from Jesus just a moment ago, telling the paralytic to take heart. But now he's being very rough with the scribes and accusing them of evil thoughts. So why the change? Well, context is everything. The paralyzed man, along with those who brought him to Jesus, were exhibiting extraordinary faith in their actions. Faith is what brought them there. But what brought the scribes to Jesus that day? It was clearly something else. I think suspicion, scheming, we see this over and over through the stories in the Gospels. An undue skepticism. There's a healthy kind and an undue kind. And maybe some sort of dogmatic unfaith. That's what brought the scribes and the Pharisees there that day. And that's why when they heard Jesus saying something truly startling and challenging, the bounds of their systematic dogmatism, they heard it not from a neutral or a curious or a cautiously open place, but solely from a place of accusatory condemnation. It's this attitude that makes for evil thoughts. Now, everyone else present may have been just as surprised to hear Jesus say that this man's sins were forgiven, as that was still a shocking thing to say. They may not have immediately thought, however, this man is claiming to be God in the flesh. They may have just thought, well, we understand that the forgiveness of sins is a function of the Day of Atonement, that once-a-year ritual in the Holy of Holies in the temple performed by the high priest elected by lots that year. So at the very least, the people are thinking, this man, Jesus, is taking what we understand to be done only once a year in one place by one man, and he's taking that function out on the road with him. <laughs> Here's just this man in simple clothes walking around in Capernaum forgiving sins. But Jesus cemented his authority to forgive sins with a devastatingly difficult question for the scribes to answer. He said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And so he turns to the paralytic and he says, get up and walk. And he says he does this to show that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins on earth. And Matthew again gives us an extra detail at the end of this story, which shows us that in this miracle, Jesus did convince the people of exactly what he was meaning to. In Mark and Luke, 
The people only say at the end of the story that they have seen extraordinary things this day. But in Matthew, we also hear that they glorified God who had given such authority to men. This is exactly what Jesus wanted to show them, that he, as the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sins on earth. Now, the Son of Man, one of Jesus' favorite titles he uses of himself, is that bright figure in Daniel's vision who ascends to Yahweh's throne in the highest heaven and receives an everlasting kingdom, ruling with Yahweh over all creation. And here he is, that figure glimpsed by Daniel in unspeakable glory, teaching and healing in Capernaum, right in front of their faces. The most amazing part of this story today isn't that Jesus healed a paralyzed man uh, just by telling him to stand up and walk. It's that Jesus forgave the sins of that man and encouraged him to take heart. Because every body, every, every body, everybody's body will be healed eventually, brought back from death and decay in the general resurrection at the end of the story of this world. But not every soul will be healed on that day. Some will rise to the resurrection of life, as Jesus says in John 5, 29, but others will awake to the resurrection of judgment. So the healing of the soul is the more important and the more astounding thing. We see that ultimately that's what's more important. And in this story today, Jesus prioritizes it by first telling the man, your sins are forgiven, and then healing his body. See, Jesus cares about our well-being, both physically and spiritually. They are, after all, intimately linked. That's why everything that we do spiritually here in church has some bodily element attached to it through our senses, kneeling, crossing, singing, smelling, seeing, hearing. We don't, we don't connect with God spiritually except through our bodily existence, and that's why the resurrection is so important. God didn't make us to connect with him except through our bodies. And so Jesus cares about our bodily reality. He really does. But first things first, second things second, right? The spiritual is first and the most important. And if any of us here today are prioritizing our physical or financial or even emotional or any other aspect of our lives or our uh, being over the state of our souls, that is our relationship to God and others and the forgiveness of our sins, then Jesus would remind us today through this story, gently, tenderly, to take heart and put our souls first so that he can then meet us in those other places where we have need. And that's why we're here today, to prioritize our souls so that God can take care of what's ultimately most important in us. We're here to meet with the great physician today and ask him through faith to meet us and give us the message, take heart, so that he can then take care of the rest of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.